Welcome to the Parkway Fellowship Podcast. We hope that God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Mike McGowan. Happy Easter! So glad that you're here today. Man, it's going to be a great day. It already has been a great day. And I hope that you have a a fabulous day with your kids, your grandkids, your family, your extended family, whoever it is that you're celebrating Easter with. I hope that today is fabulous for you and your entire family. Um, Now, in getting ready for this Easter service, I did some research about Easter. And I actually came across some interesting fact that I did not know. For instance, do you know why at Easter we use eggs as opposed to something else like carrots or you know, cauliflower or cucumbers or anything like that? You know why we use eggs? We use eggs because uh, since ancient times, the egg has been the symbol of new life. Like perfect for Easter, right? But in the, in, in the medieval times, people often gave up eggs for Lent. And so when Easter rolled around, and they could eat eggs again, hard-boiled eggs became a big part of the Easter celebration, and so that's why we use eggs. Interesting. Um, now, why do we use, now, how did eggs start getting uh, dyed and colored on Easter? You know that? Well, in the earliest days, the eggs were only one color. They were all red. All the eggs were red, and they were red because it, it symbolized the blood of Christ that was shed on the cross for the forgiveness of our sins. It was only centuries later that they became multicolored as other dyes were introduced. Now, why do we have egg hunts? Why, why do we have egg hunts? Well, in the earliest days, we didn't, there were no egg hunts. There were only egg rolls. Okay, no, no. <laughs> I know what you're thinking. No, no, no. Not like egg roll. I mean like egg rolls, like, like you roll an egg. They, were, they would have these egg rolling races, these egg rolling contests, and the reason they did that was because it was a reminder of how the, t- the, the stone was rolled away from the tomb of Christ. It was only much, much later that the egg hunt, egg roll somehow morphed into an egg hunt. Okay? Well, now, well, what, what about the Easter bunny? Like, where do we get this man-sized bunny that lays eggs filled with candy for children? Nobody knows. It's just so weird, okay? <laughs> Nobody has any idea where we get that. <laughs> now look, I mean, you probably didn't come to church today so that you could learn a lot of, you know, interesting facts about Easter eggs and that kind of thing. And I don't know why you came. Maybe you came today because... Uh, because it's your family tradition. And so you come on Easter as a family, you come to church like that's your thing. Maybe that's why you're here. Or maybe you came today because you got invited by a friend or a classmate or um, someone on your kid's baseball team or somebody at your gym or a coworker. Maybe that's why you're here. Or maybe you're here today because you're looking for a fresh start. Maybe you know, you're new in the area, and you bought a new house, or you're in a new school, you're starting a new job, or maybe you're just ready to start a new chapter in your life, and you're looking for a fresh start, and that's why you're here. Or maybe you saw a social media post, or maybe you're just driving by, and you saw the sign, and you thought, you know, I think we're going to go, and that's why you're here. Or maybe you don't even know why you're here, but you've just found yourself here today. Look, regardless of why you're here, I'm glad that you are. Because I'm telling you, God has something for you today. He's got something for you. But 
more important than why you're here is how you respond before you leave. And look, there could be a hundred different reasons why you're here, but there are only three possible responses before you leave. And which response you choose will determine the course of your life from this point forward. And by the way, not to respond is to respond. And ironically, on that very first Easter, 2,000 years ago, at the tomb of Christ, there were three groups of people who depicted these same three responses. And how each of them responded determined the course of their life from that point forward as well. And so today, we're going to look at these three groups of people, what their responses were, and figure out how God wants us to respond and how we can respond today to the tomb of Christ. Now, just in case you're not familiar with the story of Jesus, let me kind of catch up on what's happened. Three days prior to Easter, Jesus was arrested and he was crucified on a cross. Now look, Jesus hadn't done anything wrong. He was perfectly innocent. He had committed no crime. The religious leaders of the day were jealous of Jesus' popularity. And so they had him nailed to a cross through his wrists and through his feet, and he hung there until he died. Now, it wasn't until afterwards that the disciples and others realized that while Jesus was on the cross, he was taking the punishment for the sins of the world upon himself. It wasn't until later until they realized that Jesus was taking on himself the sins of the world, of you and of me and of everyone else. I mean, nobody got it at the time. The disciples realized it afterwards. And then after Jesus died, they put him in a tomb, and three days later, he rose again. He rose from the grave, and that's why we celebrate Easter. We celebrate Easter because Jesus is alive, and he came alive three days later, and walked out of the tomb all on his own. Yeah, that's why we celebrate Easter. So, um, all right, woo, there. <laughs> okay. So go ahead, so pull out your message notes, and let's begin to talk about who these three people were, what the responses were, and how we can respond, okay? So who was present at the tomb, and how did each person respond? The first group of people that were at the tomb that we want to look at today were the guards, and their response was essentially, I refuse refuse to accept it, no matter what. Their response was, I refuse to accept it, no matter what. Now, the guards were Roman soldiers. They were sent to guard the entrance to the tomb in case somebody decided to break in, steal the body of Jesus, and then claim he had risen from the dead. So they were guarding against that. So look what happens. It's in uh, Matthew chapter 28, uh, beginning of verse 1. After the Sabbath... At dawn on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to look at the tomb. There was a violent earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven and, going to the tomb, rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothes were white as snow. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and became like dead men. Let's pause right there for a second. When it says they became like dead men, some scholars think that these guys were so traumatized that they... They passed out from shock, and they just lay on the ground like dead men. Other scholars think, and this is really kind of where I land, they think that they were so traumatized that they were literally frozen in fear. 
you know, kind of like somebody who goes through a traumatic experience, like they, they can't respond, they can't talk, they, they can't move, but they're aware of their surroundings. That's kind of what I think. But, you know, if you believe they pass out, it doesn't really matter. Um, because they still appeared like dead men. Well, after they appeared like dead men, then some women came, they were friends of Jesus, they came to anoint the body of Jesus with some spices. They came... And they either stepped over the guards or walked right past the guards. They looked inside the tomb, saw that Jesus wasn't there. Two angels inside the tomb told them that he's not here. He's risen. So go tell the disciples. So the ladies left the tomb to go tell the disciples. But before the disciples could come back, the guards came too. And here's what happens. Verse 11. While the women were on their way, that means on the way to go tell the disciples, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, you are to say, his disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we'll satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Okay, now, here's the thing. Here's what I want you to see. The guards are the ones that saw everything. They saw an angel drop out of heaven and land with such force that it caused an earthquake. It caused the ground to shake. They saw this angel go over and roll this stone away from the entrance to the tomb. And it's at that point, after he rolled the stone away, that these guys became like dead men. And so I kind of think that what they were the ones that actually, after the angel rolled the stone away, they saw Jesus come out of the tomb and that just sent him over the edge. And so they passed out, or they were frozen in fear because they were so traumatized and freaked out by this whole thing. It doesn't matter. But at that point in time, they became like dead men. Now, if they were passed out, they wouldn't have seen this, but they weren't. They would have, been, they would have seen the women come and step into the tomb, hear the angels, and then run back to tell the disciples. And then they came to. And then when they went in town, they were bribed to say that the, that, that, that the body was stolen. Why? Because everybody knew that if you could just find the body of Jesus, that this whole idea of believing in Jesus and believing in Christ would be over before it even got started. All they had to do was find the body. And so a massive manhunt was started. The Romans and their legions searched everywhere for the body of Jesus. The Jewish leaders and their followers searched everywhere for the body of Jesus, but nobody could find it. Not, e not even a trace. Couldn't find anything. Now, if you happen to be, think be thinking that, well, I mean, maybe the disciples did steal the body and hide the body. That, that scenario is extremely unlikely. And it's extremely unlikely because, first off, the disciples, they, these guys weren't well-connected. Okay, they had no resources. They, in fact, they locked themselves in a room for days out of fear that they would be arrested. So not only did these guys not have the skill set to pull off a global hoax, they didn't have the opportunity. It, it, just, it just wasn't in it for them. So 
that scenario is extremely unlikely. And you know, just in case that you think that they did pull it off, to what end? I mean, so that they could get rich? All of them died poor. So they could gain power? None of them ever held any sort of office or position. So that they could gain fame? None of them became famous until after they were dead. In fact, 10 of the 11 disciples that were remaining, 10 of them died the, a tortured death of a martyr. Now, if they all knew that the whole thing was a hoax, they all knew that they had hid the body of Jesus, would anybody really die for something they knew was a lie? I mean, and would they die a tortured, all of them were tortured and then killed. Would they all die like that for something they knew wasn't even true? I mean, look, one or two of them might, but all 10? No, I mean, that's not even probable. Now, just in case you're still thinking, ah, oh, you know, I don't know, Pastor Mike. I mean, all that just sounds too unbelievable. I just, I'm not so sure about all this. I, in case that's your attitude, just like the guards, still kind of pushing back, refusing to believe, then let me just ask you this. What happened to the body? What happened to the body? If Jesus died, then there's a body. What happened to it? If you don't believe, then you have to come up with an answer to what happened to the body of Jesus. And why, and why did the guards have to be bribed to say that it was stolen? Well, they had to be bribed because they knew the truth. They knew that Jesus had risen from the dead, probably because they had seen it firsthand for themselves. That's probably what happened. So look, look if you still are pushing back against it all, let me just, let me just say this. Be intellectually honest with yourself. Be intellectually honest and go do some legitimate research on what happened to the body of Christ. Look, and, and look, go look to credible sources, okay? Don't go to Facebook, okay? That doesn't count, right? <laughs> go look at some credible sources and answer the question, what happened to the body of Jesus? Because look, I'm telling you, if Jesus is who he says he is, he says that all of us will spend eternity either with him or separated from him in a place the Bible calls hell with no hope of ever escaping. So there is a lot hanging out. The stakes are really high. You should go find out for yourself and do the research on your own because there's a lot at stake here. And so look, all I would ask is this. Just, just be open-minded and just genuinely be open-minded and I believe that God will show you, over time, who Jesus really is. Okay? All right. Second response. Number two. Second way that we can respond is this. It's to respond like Peter. And Peter's response was, I wonder if it's true, but I don't know for sure. I wonder if it's true, but I don't know for sure. Now, when the women leave to tell the disciples that Jesus is risen from the dead... Two of the disciples race back to the tomb to check it out for themselves. One of them is a guy named Peter. And let's read what happens with him. In Luke chapter 24, verse 9, the Bible says this. When they, and the they is the women, when the women came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the others. It was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. But they didn't believe the women. Because their words seemed to them like nonsense. 
Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the ships of linen lying by themselves, and, and I want you to underline the rest of this, he went away wondering to himself what had happened. He went away wondering to himself what had happened. At this point in Peter's life, he still did not understand that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And look, let's just be honest. None of the disciples really understood that at this stage of the game. None of them really got it. I mean, when Peter went to the tomb that day, he did not show up at the tomb and throw his hands up in the air and victory like, woohoo! He's risen! He's back, baby! Like, that, that's not what happened. Peter walked away thinking, I wonder what went down. And resurrection was not an option he was considering. I mean, that, that's just what happened. Now, Peter didn't believe, and let's just be honest, I think the main reason he didn't believe was because the thought of somebody rising from the dead, I mean, look, that, I mean, that just sounds unbelievable. But I do think there's a second thing that added to Peter's difficulty in believing, and we know from Peter, he was one of the slowest of the disciples to accept the resurrection of Christ because he didn't accept it till for about a week later. And there, I, think there, I think, my personal opinion, one of the reasons why, Jesus, why Peter was so slow to accept the resurrection of Christ is because of what was going on in Peter's heart. Because it wasn't until Peter had a personal encounter with Christ and Christ dealt with what was going on in Peter's heart that that's when Peter finally accepted the resurrection. So what was going on in Peter's heart? Guilt. Guilt over what Peter had done. And in case you don't know Peter's story, on the night that Jesus was arrested, he, he told Jesus that he would follow Jesus to the ends of the earth, even to the point of death. And Jesus looked at Peter and said, Peter, you're going to deny that you even know me three times before the rooster crows in the morning. And sure enough, that's exactly what happened. And after Peter denied Je knowing Jesus the third time, the Bible says that Peter was so overwhelmed with guilt that he ran out and wept bitterly. He wept bitterly because he's just so overwhelmed with his own guilt. And I think it was his own guilt that made it harder for him to believe because he was just wrestling with it. Oh, maybe you're in the same boat. Maybe one of the things that's made it hard for you to believe in God and believe in Son Jesus is because you're dealing with guilt from things that have happened in the past. And why is it that guilt makes it hard to believe? When we have guilt, it makes it hard to believe because um, we, we feel so guilty. And so we think, God, how could you possibly love us when I can't even love myself? God, how could you possibly forgive me when I can't even forgive myself? I remember a couple years ago, it was right after church, um, or right after one of our services, I was out in the lobby, and I was, you know, greeting guests and talking to people and that kind of thing, and there was this guy who was standing over to the side, and I could tell he was just kind of waiting for things to clear out because then he wanted to come talk to me. So, uh, sure enough, after everybody kind of walked out, he came over to me, and he he held out his hand to shake my hand, and, and when he did, like his hand started shaking. And, and tears began to well up in his eyes. And so then he started telling me his story. 
He said, Pastor Mike, a couple years ago, I walked out on my wife, my kids, I quit my job, I moved away, I just was so unhappy, I just felt like I needed to start over. So my wife divorced me, my kids hate me, and I gotta be honest with you, I'm more miserable than I've ever been. And, and he's telling me the story with just tears streaming down his face. And then he says this, he says, but Pastor Mike, I was listening to what you said in church today. Do you think that there's any way that God could forgive me for what I've done? And I just looked at him, I was like, yes, of course God can forgive you. God wants to forgive you. He will forgive you. But you need to accept his forgiveness before you can forgive yourself. And so we, we talked for a little while, and when we got to the end, I asked him, I was like, are you ready to accept God's forgiveness for your own life? And he said, yes, I am. And so we, in the lobby, we prayed right there. And he accepted Jesus into his life and asked him to forgive him for everything he's ever done. And I'll tell you, when he said amen and he looked up, man, he was smiling ear to ear. It was awesome. I mean, it was incredible. And, and then he emailed me about two weeks later because, get this, he doesn't live here. And he was only in town on business, was only going to be here that one time, and he was never coming back. And he just happened to come to church here that day. And so he emailed me and said, hey, Pastor Mike, I just want to give you an update on where I am. I, after we talked, I reached out to my ex, and I apologized to her, and I apologized to my kids, and I told them I was so sorry for what I'd done. He said, now, everything is not back the way it was. It's not, that's not going to happen. But we're at least talking again. And I'm looking for a church in the town where I live. And I wanted to tell you all this because I'm finally starting to feel happiness again for the first time in years. Oh, it's like, oh God, thank you for how you do that in people's hearts and lives. It's incredible. And I tell you that to say this. I don't know what's in your past. I don't know what you've been dealing with. I don't know what you're wrestling with. I don't know what kind of guilt you have. I don't know if you're just wrestling with doubt. But I'll, I can tell you this. God has been waiting for you your whole life to come to him, to ask him for forgiveness and to receive his love. He has loved you your whole life. And it doesn't matter what's in your past. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've experienced. None of that matters. God loves you. That's why he sent his son Jesus to die, because he loves you. And he wants to forgive you. He is just waiting for you to receive it. He's just waiting for you to receive it. Now, before I tell you how you can receive it, I want us to finish up, and I want us to talk about number three. Okay, so let's talk about number three first. Here's the third possible response. It's the women and John, and their response is, I believe. Their response is, I believe. Remember how I told you there was a group of women that had come to put spices on the body of Jesus? Well, here's what happens when they arrived at the tomb. Matthew 28, verses 5 through 8. The angel said to the women, do not be afraid. 
For I know that you're looking for Jesus who was crucified. He's not here. He is risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples, he's risen from the dead and is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I've told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, afraid yet filled with joy, and ran to tell his disciples. And so we know that the women believed because when they left, they were filled with joy. I mean, a little bit freaked out, but still filled with joy. So we know that they believed. Then, after they let the women leave, and they go tell the disciples that Jesus is risen. And remember, two of them ran to the tomb to check it out for themselves. The first one was a guy named Peter, who we already talked about. The second one is a guy named John. And so let's read what happens with him. In John chapter 20, verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple, we know from context, that's John, started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked into the strips of linen lying there, but did not go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple, again, this is John, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. I want you to underline the rest of this. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. So when John gets to the tomb, he looks inside, and he sees that the tomb is empty. And he believes. He believes. What does he believe? He believes that Jesus has risen from the dead. Why? Because he believes that Jesus is who he said he was. That he is the Son of God. So let me ask you. If someone came to you and they said, who do you think Jesus is? What would you say? Would you say, well, I think Jesus is only a really good moral teacher. I think he's a great teacher. Or would you say, well, I think Jesus is just a great prophet. Or would you say, I think Jesus is the son of God. Now listen, I've heard people say all three of those things. Okay, but but get this. You really can't say that Jesus was only a good teacher. Because Jesus taught that he was the son of God. So if he was a good teacher, but not the son of God, as soon as he teaches that he is the son of God, he stops being a good teacher because now he's a liar. Right? You really can't say that Jesus was just a great prophet because as soon as Jesus says that he's the son of God, he stops being a great prophet because he's deceiving people. So he's not a great, he can't be really a great prophet. So who is Jesus? Well, a former atheist who became a Christ follower, C.S. Lewis, says that there's, when it comes to Jesus, there's really only three options for who he could be. And I want you to write these down. There's a space in your bulletin for this. There's only three options for who Jesus could be. The first option is that Jesus could be a liar. He could be a liar. So if Jesus was not the Son of God, and he knew it, but yet he says he's the Son of God, then he's a liar, and you shouldn't believe him. The second option is that Jesus could be a lunatic. He could be a lunatic because if Jesus was not the Son of God, but he thinks he is, then he's just crazy. I mean, he's a lunatic. The third option 
is that Jesus is Lord. Because if Jesus is the Son of God, and he taught that he's the Son of God because he knew it, then he is who he says he is. And he's Lord. Now look, let me just say this. Like John, I believe. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe he is who he says he is. And you know why I believe that? Because of the resurrection. Because nobody has ever been found. The body of Christ has never been found. In fact, get this, there were over 500 historically documented eyewitnesses who saw Jesus Christ in person and had an interaction with him after he was crucified and died. Over 500. In addition to that, the, the disciples, they became this band of brothers who boldly proclaimed Christ and held to their belief even though 10 of the 11 of them died a horrible, tortured martyr's death. Even the guards who were bribed to say that someone had stolen the body had to be bribed because they knew the truth. And in addition to that, I've just had too many personal experiences with God to believe anything else other than Jesus is who he says he is. So here's the deal. If Jesus is Lord, if he is the Son of God, what that means is that one day you and I will stand before him to give an account for our lives. And when we stand before him, essentially, you have been given a lifetime to make one decision. You've been given your entire life to make one decision, and that one decision is, do I accept Jesus as Lord, or do I reject him as Lord? And whichever you choose determines where you spend eternity. You either spend eternity in heaven with God, or eternity separated from God in a place the Bible calls hell. I'm telling you, there is a lot hanging in the balance. So look, if you're sitting here today and you realize, I do believe. I do believe and I want to become a Christ follower. Then I, you need to do the very same thing that that guy in the lobby did that day. You need to pray a prayer asking Jesus to come into your life to forgive you and commit to follow him. There's a prayer, it's listed, it's in your bulletin notes at the bottom. Or maybe you're not sure if you're a Christian and you, you want to nail that down because there's a lot at stake here. Then take a second. I want you to pray that prayer too. So if you're ready to pray the prayer to become a Christ follower, I want you to pray it right now. If you're ready to accept his love, you accept his forgiveness in your life, you're ready to just say goodbye to all that guilt and shame and all that. If you're ready to become a Christ follower, then I want you right now to say, take a second. I want you to pray that prayer. Just read it. It's right there. You pray that prayer right now. Now look, if you're not ready to pray the prayer, but I'm telling you, you're, the wheels of your mind are spinning because there's a lot here that you've never thought of or thought about before, and it's got you thinking, then here's what I want you to do. I want you to keep coming back for the next several weeks because next week I'm starting a series called I Wish I Was There. Well, we're going to take some of the greatest stories in the entire Bible, and we're going to see what it would be like if we were there when it happened as eyewitnesses. And through that, God's going to reveal a lot of things to us about who he is and how real he is. For instance, next week, we're going to talk about what it would have been like to be in the Garden of Gethsemane 
the night Jesus was betrayed. And I'm going to be bringing pictures with me of the Garden of Gethsemane because you can still go there today and it's still a garden. It still looks almost exactly like it did 2,000 years ago. I'm telling you, it's going to be incredible. And through it all, I really believe that God is going to reveal to a lot of things to us about ourselves and about him. So I just want to encourage you, keep coming. Because look, more important than why you came is your response before you leave. I want you to bow your head, close your eyes, let me pray for everybody. Father, I want to say thank you for Easter. Thank you for this day in our calendar that you have set aside for us to remember Jesus and celebrate what he did. And for those who already believe, God, I thank you that you have given us so many things that point to the truth of what really happened that day. So thank you for that. And for those that are listening to me live or online that are just struggling with it or just aren't sure yet but want to know the truth and are genuinely open-minded, Father, I ask in Jesus' name that you would reveal yourself to them, that as they look at it and research it, Father, that you would help them come to the conclusion that, Jesus, you are real and you are who you say you are. You're the Son of God. Thank you for today. And I ask that you would do all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this message. For more information about Parkway Fellowship, find us online at parkwayfellowship.com. You can also download our mobile app for access to the most recent messages, video content, and much more.